So, as, as you know, we're doing a, a series called Journey with Jesus. We're actually going to journey all the way to the second coming. So this is going to be a very long topic. You guys are looking at me like, I think he's serious, right? <laughs> so... Um, Oh yeah, it's in our future. Uh, you know, Jesus came to uh, establish a new covenant, a new commands, and a new movement. And you know, that's that's why the focus of journeying with Jesus. And so, when I I want to share a little something, um, an encounter I had as a doctor's office, um, waiting in the waiting room. Uh, and I was, I was praying about this series, and I was doing some research, and I had my iPad there. And a gentleman came up and handed me a track while I'm in the room, and started telling me, you know, he started witnessing to me. So, you know, I'm a follower of Christ, and the first thing he said, well, well are you LDS? And I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'm a follower of Christ. And not to say that, you know, I was just saying, this is what I do. And then he began to interrogate me. Well, how'd you come, how'd you, how do you know Christ? I felt like, saying, well, how do you know Christ? I mean, you know. <laughs> you know? Look, by nature, I'm a very sarcastic person. I reserve, I've learned to control things that come out, but... So he said, well, you know, and I began to tell him that I have this personal relationship with Jesus. And he said, well, so how'd you get that? And so, yeah, (laughs) this was going on. And he said, well, and then I I shared with him some of my personal journey. And he said, well, you really don't know Jesus. And at this point, you know, the temperature's rising. (laughs) You know, it's a whoop. And I'm praying about this series, and whoop, and I'm going, really? You know, I just said, really? So uh, how do I need to know Jesus? And he began to give me his point of view. Well, first of all, you've got to read a certain translation. You know, and I went, okay. Then you've got to pray the prayer a certain way. And, he, you know, so I gave him enough grass, and, and finally, he had to make his appointment, and I'm just going, I'm doing the series. And I really thought that was a, uh, a God encounter, because um, I thought, Lord, this, what this guy's doing is just so wrong, you know? He's representing you, and it's all about performance. It's all about, you know, all, he doesn't know anything about acceptance, and about your finished work. And so he came back down, and he, he, wanted, he wanted to re-engage, and I, I just went, we're so done. And I, didn't, I wouldn't even lie, I said, we're just done. And he went and chased some other poor person out the door. <laughs> but those are two words that you need to think about, because they permeate our life, our culture in so many ways. Performance 
And I will say, performance versus acceptance. Performance, and you know, it's everywhere, right? I mean, look, I'm a person, I take a lot of assessments. I just got done taking assessment. I run, Lisa and I run a coaching network for Vineyard Missions. And part of that, I have to take an assessment every year, which lets me know how well I'm doing or what are the areas I need to improve on. And, um, and I, it amazes me as I work with the team, and most of my team that I work with across the United States are mostly senior leaders. And, you know, and they get to a certain assessment, and, oh, I'm not doing very well. And then, oh, I'm doing, you know, you know, so it's almost like we gauge how well we're able to interact with other people because then I said, that's not what that assessment's for. That assessment is not to gauge how well you are as a coach. It's to help you see some of the things you need to improve on. And it's based on, you know, competencies and micro competencies. I mean, there's a lot to it. There's really a lot to it. And I'm saying, look, we're not gauging how well you are by doing that. This is just a tool for you to be able to figure out how the areas that you can improve in. And but we, but my only point in bringing this whole deal up to you is we see it as performance. How well am I performing in this area? And that's not what that's for. But we live in a society where performance is everything. And a lot of times your performance isn't based on your humility. It's not based on how well you love others. It's not based on um, being a kind person, a polite person, or any of those kinds of things. It is based on how you perform. And I want to say to us this morning, the reason I'm bringing this whole thing up, is I think it's permeated the church. We view everything through the lens of performance. I don't believe that's what Jesus has for us. Matter of fact, I've been, I've been in a senior leader at church for over 30 years. I've been in a lot of places. I've been in meetings where a pastor has said to me, I've got to let this person go because he no longer performs like he should. And my first question is, is he called? Did God call him to this position? Is he called to the kingdom? Is he called to be a pastor? Is he, you know, this is not an administrative call, but we, again, performance. Again, it's how we perform, right? So my question for us is, how do you view scriptures? How do you view the words of Jesus? And how do you respond to it? you respond to those words in acceptance? Or do you respond to those words with, a, with performance? Or is it somewhere in between? Do we bounce back and forth? Who judges us? <clears throat> Who judges us? Good question. Same topic. Who judges them? I'm pretty good at judging myself. <laughs> I, I would say I'm probably my worst enemy. So, um, or, or you would say I don't live up to a certain standard. Um, 
So, so through this series, we, we know that God loves us, He gave. God so loved the world, He loves us, and He gave Himself. And our job is to believe and receive, to believe and receive, the acceptance part of it. Do you believe what Jesus says about you? Do you receive that? Do you receive the love of God, which is unconditional and also unlimited? The love of God. Think about that. God's love is unconditional. Whether you perform the way you should or not, whether if you live the most holy life or not, it doesn't matter because he loves you as much as the day that you said, I want to follow you to this very moment. To this very moment, he loves you. Your, God's love towards us is not based on what we do. It's not based on what we do at all. And you guys, are, you sit there and listen and go, yep, that's true. That's good theology. That's really good Bible doctrine. Yeah, that's really good. But how do we live? How, how do we build our relationships? How is your relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning or been around for a while and you grew up in church and you always felt like you did not live up to the standard. You always felt like there, that, that you always walked around with a, a level of guilt, right? You know, a, a level of guilt. Where you had to go to the altar every week and repent of your sins of the whole week, which might have been many, but you always lived with that guilt. I don't think Jesus wants us to be motivated and live under an umbrella of guilt. Does he want us to change? Absolutely. Absolutely he wants us to change. Did he come so that we might have life and more abundantly? Absolutely. And those things are, are a discovery. As we're going on, Jesus came to, to serve and not to be served. He was, he's, he was an, a leader of the towel. The towel in the basin. And then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had people stand up and say, I want to be a person of the towel. Get ready. Get ready. Because that's not something you legislate. That's just something you lean into. Say, Lord, I just want to do that. That's something where you say yes to Jesus every day. And he gives you opportunity to grab that towel and give it to somebody else. Serve somebody else. Because being a person of the towel and basin means you're serving people. There's no way around it. There's just no way around it. And then we have to come to that place and say, Lord, I want, I want to love the things you love. I want to love you love. I want to interact with others the way you... How about this? Why don't we just do it this way? I'll make it simple for all of us. Why don't we just interact with others as Christ interacts with us? Right? Just, just do to others what Jesus does for us. Pretty simple, right? So, Jesus came to give us something totally brand new. You know, not living under that level of performance. And, and you have, you know, the Moses, and you have the temple is based, setting on 35 
acres. It is, it is a monument in the midst of Israel. It's in, right there. And all, all, everybody is, and you know, between the law of Moses and the temple, there's some 600 plus laws. From the Big Ten to the temple, there's 600 and plus laws. I was dead the minute I heard it. Because I would have never made it. My nature is, where is the loophole? So never mind. Let's move on. So, but along the way, as we talk about doing something new, along the way, Jesus kind of gave us a little insights of what he was doing. Along the way in his journey. Remember, we're picking up when, where Jesus is an adult, and we're doing, going through the scriptures fairly chronologically. And along the way, and remember, there's John. And he says, look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, they know the language. They know what it means, Lamb, that takes away the sins of the world. And he points, and, he, and, and there's that declaration and through that, then Jesus and, and Jesus' popularity is just moving across the land. And I believe that, that if there's anything the church should do, or we need to become really good at, is making Jesus famous. Making Jesus famous. Why do you do what you do? Because Jesus has done what he's done for me. So in this <clears throat> journey that Jesus with his, with his followers, he basically made enemies with the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, and the, he made enemies with the ruling factor, the Romans. He was not popular with the legal Mass, but he was very popular with a common person. And his fame just went out. He was the talk of the town. And so the religious leaders of the day determined that they were going to put Jesus to death. They were going to arrest, arrest him. This guy has to go. He cannot remain. Well, it turns out he was easy to find but kind of difficult to arrest, right? You know, because he's everywhere. They, I mean, he, he's, everybody was talking about him, so that everybody knew where he was at, and he was easy to arrest. And I'll just read the scripture out of John eleven fifty seven. Meanwhile, the leader, leading priests and the, and the Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. And there, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, and he arrives. And you remember out of Luke uh, 22, where, where Isaac Iscariot gets a little bit apprehensive. You know, he doesn't like the way things are going. Whatever is going on with him, uh, actually it says that the Satan entered his heart and he went to the leading priest and he betrayed Jesus. So all of this is unfolding. All of this is unfolding. 
you know, and their plan to arrest Jesus and take him captive would succeed. But their objective would be met. But before that, before all that was taking place, let's just back up a little bit and talk about what Jesus meant when he talked about the new covenant. So if you turn your Bibles to chapter 22 of Matthew, there's a series of interaction that Jesus has that I'd like to reflect on for a minute. Picking up with verse 15, He said, it says, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of the Herod or Herodians to meet with them. And then they asked him this question. He said, Teacher, they said, We know that you are honest. We know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. So, you know, the the best way to entrap somebody is build them up, right? I'm going to come along and I'm going to tell you what I like about everything you're doing. So the best way you're going to entrap somebody, you're going to build them up. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, Jesus didn't do that, but I can just imagine me doing that. Anyways, (laughs) Now tell us, well, you are impartial and you don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, you play actors, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me a coin used for tax. Use used for the tax. And when they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, okay, whose picture's on it? Who's this belong to? They went on and said, Caesar. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they just left. Went, all right, that didn't work out very well. And then there were the Sadducees. Sad, you see. <laughs> um, came, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in a, in a spiritual life. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in after death. Teacher Moses, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow, widow and have the children who carry on the, the brother's name. Well, support, suppose there were seven brothers. Here again. The oldest married and he died and without children, and so the brother married the widow. And it goes on seven times. It just continues on. And Jesus replies, he says, You mistake, you mistake, is that you don't know the scriptures. Your mistake is you really don't understand the, the scriptures, the intent of it. You don't know the power of God. When the dead arise, they will never marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. 
And then they obviously left because they were sad, you see. And he goes on and says, But now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, and haven't you ever heard about the scripture long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. And so Jesus answered, <coughs> challenged their, their understanding of Scripture. But then, the Pharisees came. And in verse 34 it says this, but when the Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducee with his reply, they must gather, to, they, they met together to question him again. One of them said, an expert in religious law tried to trap him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? What is number one? Teacher, what is it? Out of the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and the 600 plus laws in between, there in the temple, what is the most important? What is the uno number one? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said the first greatest commandment, and the second is equally as true as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on and finishes up and says, the whole entire law depends on what the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now Jesus could have said, this, this was, in this, encompasses everything what Jesus is talking about. In everything. He said, give the Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Is there eternal life? Absolutely. But what is the greatest commandment? Love God with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then your neighbor as yourself. And then you might add, loving God, loving people, you might, you know, Jesus might say, at least to me, I don't know about you, I'll pick on me. He might say, even the ones you don't like. Oh, come on. Even the ones I don't like, I have to love them unconditionally, unlimitedly, with the love that Jesus gives to me, I have to love them? I have to do it that way? See, because they're referring to the minute he says, love your neighbor as yourself, they're thinking of Leviticus 19.18, where it says, love your community. Love the people you're with. Love the people that you, you go to church with. Love the people that are, that, that are next to you right now. But that isn't what Jesus was talking about because he, he also qualified it by telling them a parable about the Good Samaritan. Right? And what is the basis of this Good Samaritan? Love everybody. Not just those that, you know, have, have the Jesus stuff. Now, I, what I mean by that is, I'm, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. When I first came to Christ... <coughs> We had t-shirts. We had sign language. Sign language. You know what that means? You millennials, I'm going to tell you what this means. 
It means one way to Christ. And we'd go along, and we'd go like this. And if somebody went like that, like that, we'd say, hey, there. And during the persecution, even with the church, as, as a movement was birthed during the persecution, how they would identify one another, they would do the sign of the fish. That's where the fish came from. So people would wear fish. You know where the fish came from? In the early church. They'd make a half a sign like this, and the person that they were, if they were a Christian, they would finish the sign, and they would know that person they were talking to was a Christian. Right? We had the ichthus. Greek words. You know, have you ever seen the fish with a little Greek lettering in between the middle of it? Ichthus. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And actually, I, I was at, uh, buying something at a, at a, uh, a lumberyard. And the cashier actually had an ichthus tattooed on them right here. And I said, well, you don't see that very often, an ichthus tattooed on somebody's arm. And they were going, and I could tell at that moment, this person had walked away from Christ because she did not want to talk about it. I said, uh, do you know what that means? And she goes, next. <laughs> you know, but we had our own language. We have our own language. How many of you understand that there is a Christianese? Right. And we get really bold about it. We, when they're Christianese, we say, are you washed in the blood? Do you know that there's power in the blood? Whose blood? You know, I mean, we have our own language. And people, and, and we just assume that everybody knows our language, don't we? We assume that. And we get so used to talking that way, we talk to our na- cubicle next to us, and they look at us like, what in the world are you talking about? Now, my question would be to you, as we see the model of Jesus, as he commands us to love God with everything we have, and then our neighbor as ourself, how did he interact with people? How did he converse with those around him? For one, he was very accepting. I think of, of the woman that was caught in adultery. I think of, I think of that that. That, uh, that time that he spoke. And here again, the, reli- the, the people of the day, the religious of the day, are trying to entrap uh, Jesus with the law. You know, and they bring her, and they all got their rocks, and they're ready to, they're ready to thrash her. Because adultery in those days, uh, for, especially for a woman, was death by stoning. Death by stoning. Daryl, what's that mean? You throw rocks at people. Until they die. Death by stoning. And, you know, you know, Jesus, he, they said uh, that he, he scribbled in the ground. That's what the scripture says. And there's some, there's some thought of what he could have been doing. Some people suggested that he might have been writing the sins of the, the accusers. Or, uh, he, you know, he could have been making a stick figure or somebody. I don't know. Maybe he was bored with what he was, they were doing. No, but he was down there doing this. And then he gets up, and he looks around, and he says, Okay, I get what you're doing here. You, without sin, cast the first stone. You could hear the sounds of the rocks drop. Just dropped. You can hear the sound of it, right? How about, let's bring that to home. 
Performance doesn't tolerate sin. Doesn't tolerate it. Legalism doesn't tolerate sin. Just doesn't do it. Doesn't have room. Looking good is important. Those of us without sin cast the first stone. And even though we will sit and say, and we'll say this, um, you know, all sin is equal. Well, sin, sin is sin, we get it. But in our culture, we don't see it that way. Drop the stone. See, God's love is unconditional. Now, does that mean we sh- you know, Paul would say this in, in Romans. He would say, should we continue to sin? Uh, he, he would say, absolutely not. By the grace of God, we're able to move forward and change. See, let's just be real about our relationship, right? Let's just be real. <clears throat> and in, in being real, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, some time ago, there's a statement a prayer that I made. I said, Lord, I'm tired of me. I'm glad you're not. But I'm getting weary. I mean, I, I, and, uh, and, I, and I said, Lord, you know, really, I want to be a holy man. I want, I want to be a holy man. <laughs> and the Lord said, you do not know what you ask, you know. <laughs> I mean, but I, I just said, you know, I don't, I don't want to have, I just want to, I just want to live for you. I, wanna, I want to change. I want to honor you. I want to do all I can to be the person you created me to be. And that's what I meant by that. And he said, Daryl, good. But it's not, an easy, it's not an easy prayer request. It's not easy. It's just not easy. And uh, make mistakes, and um, and I'm learning. But at the end of the day, I want to please Jesus. At the end of my life, I want to hear, enter in my good, my good precious servant. Oh, and you will hear that. It, it's not about performance. But somewhere along the line, I chose to follow Jesus, and I chose to say yes. To his commandments. And I chose to walk after him. And I want to do that well. Which means. Which means I need to. Be transparent. And be open first of all with God and with others around me. And so Jesus said in chapter 13. He said this, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my followers, that you are my disciples, that you're mine, how you love each other. Unconditional love, unlimited love, how you do it. Great place to practice right here. But how we do it, that is it. In that, 
loving God with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and our neighbors itself completes and fulfills everything that he is asking of us. In that is the fulfillment of the covenant. In, as we learn to love God with the love that he gives us, as we learn to walk after him, learning how to love other people. And I'm telling you right now, love has been so distorted. I would go as far as say, love has been distorted to lust. That's where it's gone. That's what our society is telling us. This is true love. This is how it works. This is how you need to embrace. We have teenagers. Teenagers, what's going on in our high school, how, they're, how, they, how, how they view love and how they view their bodies and what they do with their bodies is not love. It's not. I cannot sit there. I, look, should we tolerate that? Are we, gonna, are we having throwaway generations? No. People need to know that they're loved for who they are, not how they perform. And not how they look. Not how they perform and not how they look. And so I think as we, and look, it's a challenge, right? With the media and what's going on around us and, you know, the just just all of it. It, it tabloids and all the different magazines, you know, you stand in line and oh so and so this and so and so that and I'm going these people need Jesus, right? It has to stop and it stops by by letting people know that God values you as an, not only as an individual, but precious. You are precious in His sight. And this is not age-specific. You are precious in your sight, in His sight. You are valued in His sight. We've talked about that. So, Love for God is best illustrated and demonstrated enough, vindicated by those who are nothing like you or us. They might not even like us. They might not even like us. It's just that they might not. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Paul got it. I'm going to go through, as the worship team comes forward, I'm going to go through a list of scriptures. Paul, uh, most of the writer of the New Testament, he really got this. He understood it. And so did John. First, second, third John. John got it really good, but he was an eyewitness. Paul came a little bit later, but he got it. He got it. He, said, he says in Ephesians 4.32, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Paul at 1 Corinthians says this. He says, love is patient, kind. Love is, is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. I was irritable yesterday. It doesn't keep a record of wrongdoing. How many of you keep a record? 
That's a tough one, right? That's a tough one. Come on, let's be honest. Yeah, okay, I got, I got a, I got a, <laughs> thank you very much, Raymond. Does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoice whenever the truth wins. Christ is the truth. Love never gives up, never loses faith, and is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is the model of Christ. This is what Christ, this is Christ's definition of love. Then Paul goes back to Ephesians and says this, but God is, is so rich in mercy, rich in mercy, and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when, we ra- when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that we have been saved. Beginning and end. Right there. Beginning and end. That's it. We need to live there. At least I do. I don't know. For he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm because we are united in Christ Jesus. Right? Oh, let's go. Let's keep going. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Who's our example? Who is our example? Who are we following? Don't follow me. Don't follow me. Follow Christ. And, and, I, and Paul would say this, follow me as I follow Christ. He always prefaced that. If you're going to follow me, do it especially when I'm following Christ. And hopefully, it's more often than not. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us a pleasing aroma to God. Isn't that cool? See, Paul really understood this. And you understand, if you know who Paul is, he was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. He understood the law. And here he is. He's saying, love is the key. And so we go back to John. So now I'm giving you a new commandment that you love. We have to love. How is love best? How do we, use, how do we love with the love of Christ? Well, first of all, this has to be connected well. This, this has to be connected well. Because when I'm not really connected with the Lord, I get irritable. I keep a list of wrongdoings. I'm judgmental. All of those things. This has to be connected well. So what are the changes? As uh, We're going to take our offering right now. Um, and I, wanna, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness to what we do, who we are. Thank you for your faithfulness to God. And I'm going, this is a great time. This card in there, speaking of faithfulness. Um, so the, they'll be uh, bringing the offering bags around. John, put that in there. Thank you. Um, so my question is, do you feel like you're putting the adequate energy you need to with your relationship with Jesus. You know, that's, that, and you, only you can answer that question. If I'm connected well with my relationship with Jesus, I find that I do life better. Um, and so, I'm going I'm to tell you what a brother told me once. He said, 
he talked about many people live by a rhythm of life, calendar, or you have certain things you do every day. Um, where do you, where have you decided to spend your time with Jesus in your day? And do you keep it consistent? Because if you haven't decided to do that, you miss it most of the time, right? Right? Yeah, that's just, so that's just a little tidbit. That's free. Um, but really think about spending your time with Jesus. Think about everything we talked about, that, how you can love better. Where are the areas in your life that you don't feel loved? Where are the areas in your life that you feel judgment? Where are the areas in your life that you feel judged? Where are the areas that you feel like you live with a level of guilt in your life? Guilt by things you've done and haven't done, whatever, you know. Where are those areas? Bring them to Christ and let Jesus walk you through them because Jesus is the healer of our souls. Let's worship.